Good morning. So I'm going to get into the Word, and uh, before I'm going to start out Matthew 6, verse 19. And uh, for those of you, which is many of you in here, uh, who were around in the 90s, do you remember in the 90s you couldn't turn on a TV without hearing somebody talk about... Uh, are you tired of working a 40-hour-a-week job that you really hate? Do you want to be successful? Do you want to take care of yourself? And they would say, well, order this video, right? For $149, you know, we can make you successful to where you'll never have to work a day in your life, right? And then they said, if you order right now, you can get it for $49.99, And the only person who ever got rich off of that was the guy selling the video. Remember that? I feel like it's kind of the kind of message I'm coming into here. I feel like I'm about to tell you how to be successful. But this is actually a good way to be successful. I'm not profiting off of this. But I want you to also remember this is not a convicting message. This should be a challenging message. A hopeful message, a message that in the end you don't say, I hate Eddie, right? You remember it's out of love and it's what the Lord's leading us in. So uh, I'm going to get into it. It's going to be called, uh, Ryan, it's We Are Kingdom Builders. So in Matthew 6, verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I pray that today you would just speak to our hearts, God, that we would receive what you have. Lord, get me out of your way so you can speak to each of us. In Jesus' name you pray. Amen. So... Sometimes when you read these, people will teach this message, like these scriptures out of Matthew 6, as three different parts. Because you start out about treasures, and then you talk about the light coming into the eyes, and then you talk about serving two masters. But it's actually the exact same verses. It's a a reason why it's separated unto itself together. And uh, Jesus is writing this because it is our very nature. And I'm going to, uh, after we get into this, and I'll give you time to look, we're going to Haggai 1 next, or Haggai 1, however you pronounce it. Uh, and if you're wondering where that is, it's three books before you get to Matthew. So if you go to Matthew, backtrack three books, you're there. And uh, so he's talking about in this point of the fact that anything we are working for on this earth that is not kingdom-minded It'll be destroyed, right? And then you're thinking like, yeah, that's good. I, I work and I work and I work and I have nothing to show for it, so that's not me, right? And that's, uh, 
If you're like me, that's what we do. We, we have to keep working to try to just maintain what we even have. But then he says, your eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And this is actually, this is actually talking about what you're focused on, right? If you're focused on God, you're healthy. But if you're not focused on God, you're not healthy. And then he's talking about you cannot serve God and money, right? You can't serve it. Actually, if you get into uh, the word there, it's actually can't prov- uh, serve God in provisions or wealth. You can't serve the th- uh, things, right? And so Jesus is explaining to us here, our focus should always be on God, on kingdom-minded things at all times. And if it was that case, your treasures will grow greatly in heaven, right? But when we're not focused on that, destruction happens, right? And uh, Pastor Chad had a great message in Henderson this morning about hope. And a powerful message. It was exciting. I wish I was doing that message because everybody was happy afterwards. And uh, they're like, yeah, I like that. I hope you guys are just as happy after this, but... It, uh, in the message, he was talking about our hope is in the things you don't see, right? And, uh, and it's the things that sustain us, and, and it's a substance, right, is what uh, Hebrews 11 says. And, and when our hope is in the things of the world, it'll never sustain you, right? And he did a great job of laying it all out, and, and uh, we're going to talk about that, where our hope is at, but we're also going to, we're just going to talk about what, Jesus is, is trying to explain to us, and Haggai 1's a great place for that, and I'm going to start out in the beginning there. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel the son of Shaltai, governor of Judah, and, the, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So here he is. Haggai got a word for Zerubbabel, who's the governor, and Joshua, the high priest. Those are the two people he's talking to, okay? There's a lot of words there, but that's what it says. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people. Can I tell you, when God is speaking and he says these people, you don't want to be these people. Because these are Jews, And normally when he refers to the Jews, he's referring to my people, right? Or even you, but never these people. So you know whenever he refers to something as these people, it's not a good good sign at all for you. But Zerubbabel and Joshua are the leaders of these people. And a lot of times when you hear people talk about this scripture, they talk about, you know, leaders first and then the people. He's actually telling the leaders, these people. And it's interesting. He says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And uh, many of us know, but a lot may not. This is right after the Jews come out of captivity in Babylon. Right? Jeremiah, I think it was, prophesied that there would be 70 years of captivity they were in captivity a little over 50 years later. They come out, and 
This is 18 years afterwards. For two years when they first come out of captivity, they start rebuilding the temple because the temple of Solomon that Solomon built got destroyed. So they start rebuilding this temple. They lay a foundation. They build an altar. And then they stopped. Right? They stopped doing it. And they start rejoicing because the foundation's there and the altar's there. And they have a way to praise God again. And they're starting to do the thing, like return to the way things were, right? But then for 16 years, they never touched it again. And uh, I, I try to wonder, it says, you know, it never says in here that you guys decided it's not time. And he never says... I told you it's not time. He said, these people say it's not time to rebuild it yet. That's challenging to me. Right? He says, these people say it's not time. And I try to think, like, what are reasons that these people may have said the time wasn't right? And I want you to try to imagine yourself in their position. They were in captivity for over 50 years. Right? When they went into captivity, there was hundreds of thousands of people that went into captivity with them. When they come out of captivity, there's about 50,000 people that come out, at least 50,000 men. So there's a big hit against you already, right? And you think about if you go into captivity, who's keeping up with all your stuff? Probably nobody, right? So then you're trying to rebuild, You're in a rebuilding process, right? And and you think they're working hard and they're laboring and they're trying to get their homes straight. They're trying to get their kids into school. They're trying to do all these things that need to be done that have fallen apart. You know, you're trying to restructure is what they're trying to do. And you look at it and you think like, well, that's honorable, that's noble. We would do the same. And then you, you... You start thinking like if you, when Solomon built the temple, he used the most skilled laborers in the world to do it. But now they just have themselves. There's 50,000 of them. And he's like, they're sitting here thinking like, I, I, I don't know what to do, right? Maybe one of them sitting at home thinking, man, we should be rebuilding that temple, but nobody will help me. Right? There's a lot of reasons why they may not have been rebuilding the temple. The main thing is, is they were not rebuilding the temple. Right? They come out of captivity. Uh, I think about maybe the cost of it. I don't know. I know that some scripture shows you that they actually had everything they needed to rebuild the temple. They just weren't doing it. Right? They were actually using everything God provided for them to rebuild their own homes. I think, I I look at it this way. If I'm trying to figure out how could I imagine myself in their predicament after 50 years in captivity and trying to rebuild, I think about the one year of 2020 that our world was chaotic and we're still trying to get out of it, right? We're still trying to rebuild from it. You know, you're like, man, finances ain't the same, uh, it causes went crazy. Inflation's out of this world. You know, I'm, I'm, tr- we're trying to get people back to work. I imagine some people didn't want to go back to work whenever they came out of captivity. I don't know how it all looked, 
But you just look at us coming out of 2020 and how chaotic our world looks right now. That's one year, not 50-something years. I think it's probably about 52 years or more they were in captivity. Chad may know, but I don't remember the exact amount. I just know it was a lot longer than we've ever dealt with anything in our lives. Some of these people were even born in captivity and wouldn't knew it. I wouldn't know what it even looked like before. And uh, so I, I'm thinking about what they're going through in this time period, and I, I can't blame them for rebuilding their lives. It's what we do. We rebuild and we try to get our lives back to normal. And that's probably what they're thinking. How do we get back to normal? How do we get back to living the way we were living before? So in verse 3, he says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses? Well, this house lies in ruins. When he's talking about paneled houses, he's not talking about, is this time for you to build yourself a shelter? He's saying, is it time for you to build a better place than what I have? They had places to live. This means they are going to a point of doing more for themselves than they actually need, more than their actual... uh, Like I said, God provided all that they needed, In this time period, they had jobs, they had money. You know what they didn't have probably, though? Food. Uh, Because later on we see there's a drought. Um, But he provided. There There was all the supplies to build with, and they're using the supplies God's given them to make their lives better. Right? To get back to where God had them before. They're building paneled houses, which tells me it wasn't just a survivor thing. It was a... Man, how do we get to the place we want to be? Right? And then he wants to point out to them, while this house lies in ruins. So God is saying, my house is in ruins while you're doing your own thing. You guys are more focused on your life than you are mine and what I'm doing. Right? And... uh it wouldn't take a whole lot for us to imagine, like if we're in their, in their feet, in their, in their shoes, it wouldn't take us a whole lot imagining that we may be the same way. I wouldn't think. Because when I look at our world, we're not a whole lot different right now. You may be, but most people are not. Right? Most people are working so hard every day to provide for themselves, to provide for their families, to... To make sure their house, what happens whenever you you start making a few dollars and you're like, man, I'm glad we finally made some a little more money. I need a, a car that'll, that'll hold up. And you get that car that holds up and then your car breaks down. And you're like, well, now i got to pay for the car to break or to get fixed. And as soon as you get that paid off, your AC unit goes out, right? And then you're like, well, now i got to pay for the AC unit to get fixed. And then you're like, oh, man, like that's fixed now. And then now the roof blows off the house. i got to get that fixed. And it's not so hard to look at what they're going through to say, I get it. Because we, we go through the same things now, you know. We have jobs. God's provided us with means. And there's always something coming up that needs our means. Always something, right? Yet, the things of God are not getting done. 
just crazy to me. Just a, it's easy to put yourself in their in their shoes, you know. And uh, I, I will point this out before we move into verse five that um, you think about Solomon and he did hire hands and he had the best builders and and they built this beautiful temple. And you're thinking like, yeah, Solomon had everything. You know, Solomon didn't even have a home when he built the temple. Scripture tells us that when he built the temple, afterwards God built him a home. This is a guy who could have done it. He could have had everything he wanted before he built the temple, but he focused on what God called him to before he built his home, right? Verse 5 says, Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I'm going to explain to you what this means, consider your ways in their time period, because he's going to say it again in a few verses. And that verse there, in their time period, there was a saying, it was called, put your heart on your roads. So what it's saying is, consider the path you're on, right? Think about what you're doing. And that's what he's telling these people in this time through Haggai. Think about what you're doing. Verse 6 says, you have sown much. Now, this is a verse, like if you look at uh, verse 6 here, this is a verse I think every last one of us in our lives will say, wow, I agree with that. It says, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. And what he's saying is you're laboring and you're laboring and you're laboring and you never have enough. Right? You're working, you're, you're providing food on the table, and yet the cost of food's so high, you're like, how am I going to provide the next meal for my family? You're, you're sitting here like, man, the water bill's due, the electric's due, how am I going to pay this, how am I going to pay that? And you're earning money every day, and it looks like a good wage, but when you check your, your bank account... You're like, what happened to my money? Right? That's where they're at. He's pointing out, you guys are doing all this stuff. You're, you're, you're laboring, you're toiling, you're doing so much. And you still have nothing. You know, he, I, I love the part that he said, you've sown much. Yet you've harvested little. And we do, we work so hard for what we have and we still don't have much. And that's what these people are in. So whenever we look at these people, I don't know about you, but I can relate to them. I can sit here and be like, I, I get it, man. These people are just trying to get by. They were just trying to survive. You can't, you can't fault somebody for just trying to take care of their family and survive. Verse 7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Says it again there. Go up to the hills and bring wood to build the house that I may may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Now here's a God who created everything, a God who's provided what they do have and he's looking at what they're going through and he says, you guys labor so much, you make all this money and you have nothing. So you know what I want you to do? I want you to start building my house. And a lot of us have been like, but God, we can't get by now. How am I going to build your house? Right? I can barely make it as I am. What do you think I can do? 
God didn't ask them their plan. He told them his plan. And we usually take our plan to God and say, God, bless us. Lord, let me make more money to provide more for my family. Let me do this. Let me do that. And I'm going to tell you why that's a bad prayer in a minute. But I'm not going to get into it because I want the scripture to tell us why that's a horrible prayer for us to pray. Right? And, uh, yeah, I'm going to let him say it because this sounds mean if I say it. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. Right? And it, we're just trying to provide. We're just trying to get by, and we still have nothing. And when you, when you brought it home, I blew it away. Get that? When you brought it home, I blew it away. This is not God saying Satan is trying to attack everything you're doing. This is God saying everything you do, for yourselves, I'm going to blow it away. There is a kingdom in this world. There's two kingdoms, I think. There's actually three. We know that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of earth. And we know that God is the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the the head of that, right? But I think as Christians, we serve two kingdoms. I think we serve the kingdom of God, and we serve our kingdom, right? I call it the kingdom of Eddie. I try hard to keep the kingdom of Eddie going, right? While trying to serve the kingdom of heaven. And God said, you know what I'm going to do to your kingdom, Eddie? I'm going to blow it away. I will not let your kingdom prosper when my kingdom is struggling. That is what he's telling us. That is what he told them in that time period. I see what you're going through, but I can't bless you because you're focused on yourself. God will not bless us when we're focused on ourselves. It's a a hard thought when you think every day I wake up and I work hard and I go home and I have nothing and I'm wore out and I have nothing and God said, yep, and it'll continue to be that way because you're worried too much about you. That's tough. But this is a God who knows what's best for us. Right. This is a God who wasn't thinking like, man, they had a rough time. They were going through captivity and I want them to, I just want them to keep suffering. And uh, I just don't want them to have it good. Right. That's not what he's saying here. He's like, I'm trying to show you guys something better. I'm not going to let you build something that you're always going to have to labor and toil and struggle in. Stop focusing on the thing that is in vain. Right When we work and we work and we work and we have not, God said, I don't want that for you. I have something better. What about it when we think of it in that way instead of thinking of, why does God keep blowing away what I'm doing? What if he's saying, I'm not going to let you guys build something for yourself that's going to rust and be eaten by moths. I want to build something for you guys that will last forever. Right? Okay, so we're going to continue in 9, and it says, Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of your uh, of you busies your, himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. He had caused a famine. He'd stopped blessing their land. 
Anybody ever seen a land around here that may not be blessed anymore? How can he bless us if we're more focused on us than we are his kingdom? How can he bless the church if the church is more focused on itself than building his kingdom? Right? How can he do it? It says, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil. Now, I want you to know, when he talks about the grain, the new wine, and the oil, that was their three main crops. That was the three main things they were profitable off of. Nothing they were profitable with was he blessing, right? So he says, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on their labors. Hmm. I feel like we're in that place. I don't know about you, but I feel like there's a drought for all of us. I feel like no matter how much you labor and toil, there's not a lot of produce from it. And uh, and we keep doing it because we have to keep doing it to get by. And we're just getting by, but Jesus didn't say we were here to get just get by. He wants to prosper us, right? He wants to give us more. He said we're more than conquerors. Right? There's so many blessings that Jesus promised us that we're not seeing. And I think it's because our focus is wrong. When he talks about what are your eyes focused on, we're not focused on the kingdom of God. We're focused on a thing of the world that we need to get to survive. And it's a, it's a hard word, but we have to be better at it, right? I just want to let you know, guys, I've been listening to this all week, so... God's been speaking it to me. So you get like one morning of a kick in the, in the teeth. I've had it all week. So it, uh, so you're welcome. So God could not bless them in what they were doing for themselves. That's basically what you're going to see here. And, and before we get into uh, verse 12, I want you to just stop for a second. And evaluate yourself, right? What road is your heart on? Which way are you, have you been focused? Have you been focused on the things of God or have you been focused on the things of you and God gets the leftovers? And uh, I would say for most of us, we're being honest, we've been more focused on building our kingdom than the kingdom of God. If we're being honest. If we're not being honest, we'll say, no, I've been doing all this for God and... uh he just ain't blessing it, right? If we're not being honest, but we're being honest, we're, we're going to understand that we're doing a whole lot of stuff just to get by. Then verse 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shelti, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, not just the leaders, but with all the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. All of them got their focus right. All of them said, God, we're going to do what you told us to do. All of them. Not two. Not half. All began to do it. In the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. 
Here they are. They said, you know what? We're focused on your kingdom now, not ours. And he said, guess what? Now I'm with you. Right? It wasn't, I'm going to keep a drought upon you now. I'm going to blow everything away you do. He said, no, I'm with you now. He couldn't be with them in their own plan. And there's a reason why a lot of times when we're struggling and we're trying to do everything and get by, just get by, get by, and we're like, why is God not helping me out? Because it's your plan, not his. When did you stop and say, God, what do I do next? Instead of saying, God, you got to take care of us. God, how am I going to provide for my family? God, this, God, that. Guess who is the one who provides? It ain't you. It's God. He provides all of our needs. Yet we want to take credit for it. And we ask him to bless our works. And we ask him to bless what we're doing. Instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do that. And then you bless yourself in it. Because what did he say earlier? He wanted to be blessed. Right? That's what he wanted. Then it says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. So he stirred up the spirit in all of them. They began to have this whole joy inside of them. And they were excited to do God's work. Imagine how miserable they were before, probably like we feel every day when we're at work and we're like, oh, got to go to work again. But at this point, now they're like, whew, we got God with us. We're doing his work. We'll do whatever it takes. Man, this is exciting stuff. God's with us, right? And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, for 20, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And I'm going to go through Haggai too, but I'm going to make it somewhat quicker. Because uh, I don't want to be here all day. And it comes down and uh, said, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltai, and to Joshua. And to all the remnant of the people say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? So, he has to bring these people to a, a realization, right? He's, some of the people would have still been alive who would have seen the, the former temple, right? As I told you, whenever they... The first two years when they laid the foundation and they had the altar, and I, I, I do want to point out that altar is kind of like us nowadays. They had an altar to sacrifice and do what was needed. They just didn't have a house of the Lord. Right? We have a place to come and worship. There's not much of a kingdom of heaven around us that we're focused on. But when they built that, that foundation... And they built that altar, they threw a celebration, and the, and the older people were the ones who led that celebration. If you ever want to know more about all of what I'm talking about, what happened, Ezra 3 will tell you that. Ezra speaks a lot about this, it gives you more uh, idea of this. We just know Ezra talks about Haggai more in it too. But uh, So Ezra 3 would be your place to, to read it. But what started happening now is as they rebuild the temple... Those who've seen the original one are now looking at it and be like, it's not as good as the last one. In the last one, we had this. We don't have it now. 
I wish we had that one. It was so much better back then. And they began doing what people do. They began complaining about how much better things were before. And I know we don't get that here because I never hear anybody ever say, I remember back in the 90s we had this kind of movement. Or you remember back at the old church this was happening. Or do you remember back whenever these things were happening and everybody was all excited? Remember how this used to be and we had all these other people that used to be here and now it's just us? Man, it used to be so much better. Used to you'd go in the temple, man, when we had hundreds of thousands of people and everybody would be in there. Now we have 50,000 people and only a few are in there. Right? They just started complaining about what used to be. And I know we don't do that. But we can. We have to be careful to look at a past movement of God and think it should be happening right now. When God said, do what I tell you to do. And I'll bless it. Right? Really what they should have been saying in this moment should have been, I cannot believe God bless us so much to use people like us to build this temple. That's what should have been happening. Same thing we should be doing. We should be looking around and saying, man, look at our our congregation. We're the people God's going to reach this community with. Instead of looking around and be like, who's God going to reach this community with? Right? He's telling them right now, you're the ones. So they start complaining. And it goes on and says, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Telling us, do it, and I'm with you. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. It's a long time ago. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with my glory, says the Lord of hosts. When we are doing God's kingdom work, when we are focused on the things of God, He is going to shake things so much that every provision we need will be there. And you may think like, how do you know? You can't see that. told you Chad had a great message on hope this week. When God tells us he's going to do it, he will do it. When God said, I am your provider, he will provide. When he said, you focus on me and I'll take care of it. And we're going to get back into Matthew 6 in a minute and see how he talks about that. But a lot of you guys already know the scriptures where God tells us all of his promises to take care of us. Yet, we're laboring and struggling like we don't have a God who can take care of us. Kind of a scary thought, ain't it? Where's our hope? He said, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. It's all his, man. He's going to give it to us. He's going to take care of us. And this isn't like a prosperity gospel. You name it and you get it. You claim it, right? It's not that. Because those people aren't even working for it. He's saying, just like he told the apostles, I'm sending you out and I'll provide everything you need. Don't worry about it. I'll provide it. 
And it's trying to tell us, go be about my kingdom right now. Live in my kingdom as a king, as the good king, I will provide all. Right? The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. You have all these people complaining about how great the former was. And God's pointing out that, hey, this new one is better than the old one. There's going to be way more glory in it, right? Says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. If you know anything about the new temple, two things happened that made it better than the first one. First off, when Herod came about, he remodeled that temple and made it the most beautiful structure in history. Secondly, peace itself walked right into that temple in Jesus Christ. He did not walk into the last temple, but he walked into that one. And we can say a lot about how things used to be or how great an old movement was, but whenever God does this new movement, and and I know he shared it with me many a times, and I know our elders and Pastor Chad has seen it many times in visions, and many other church leaders around the, the cities of Evansville and Henderson have said the same thing, that this new movement It's going to be the greatest movement of God in history. And we're still worried about a movement that broke apart and fell apart years ago. Right? Let's stop worrying about what did happen and start worrying about what God is doing and what he wants to do. And if we focus on what God wants to do, he'll take care of all of it. And Ryan, you can come on up. I'm going to close with, uh, back in Matthew 6, verse 25, and, uh, Told you this is not a, a always a comforting message, but I think it is. I think if you can get to the point, if all of us, including myself, can get to the point that we just focus on God's kingdom, doing what God calls us to do, and we trust Him. Just test Him. He said, test the spirits, right? Test it. And we start trying to do what He's calling us to do, and we go all into what He's calling us to do. The worst thing happens, you end up right back where you're at right now, trying to labor and toil for yourself later on. But I don't think that's the case. I think as we're so devoted to Him, laboring for Him, doing what He calls us to do, first off, we're going to lay up treasures in heaven as this whole community gets saved and, and the whole city's on fire for God. And all of our provisions will be taken care of because He said He will. In Matthew 6, verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I'm going to reread that because I think some people may be anxious about their lives. That's just me taking a guess. I'm not positive anybody here is anxious about their lives. But he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your lives. What you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body of what you will put on. These are the same things he's speaking in Haggai. Do you get that? Like this is several hundred years later and the same message has still got to be spoken because we don't get it. And now thousands of years later, we still don't get it and it's still got to be spoken. But God just keeps repeating himself. Guys, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Think about that. Is your life more than food and clothing and, and, the, and the stuff that you're working for? Is it more than that in your life? Or are you just struggling? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? And I know, guys, don't get me wrong. I know, like, I look at this, I'm like, how would he provide for us? I don't know. I don't know how he's going to provide. But he says he will, and he will. And which of you, by being anxious, anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into an oven, will he not more, much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith is me because I, I'm still that one trying to figure out how he's going to do it. Right? But I do believe he'll do it. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He's saying we're doing just like the world. We're seeking the same things of the world because the world showed us that we have to live the way they live to get by. And God's telling us don't live like the world's living. All throughout scripture, he tells us over and over and over, stop living like the world. Don't focus on the things of this world, right? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know what that is? That is a promise from Jesus Christ himself. If we seek first the kingdom of heaven, we live for the kingdom of heaven, we work for God, we do what God's calling us to, we seek his righteousness, we seek him, we pray, and our lives are devoted to him, everything else is taken care of. That is a promise from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died for our sins, rose for us, promised us heaven, and we're wishing for heaven, yet we can't even spend time with him and focus on him here on earth. How can our faith be in heaven when we can't even have faith in what he's doing here? I often think, like, I want to spend eternity with God, but if I can't spend time with God right here, how how good will I be at it in heaven? It's forever. This is a a testing. He's getting us ready to reign and to be with him. And Chad's been teaching it for weeks about the end coming and us being ready. And I don't know that when I look at the kingdom of heaven the way we are I don't know that we're ready and we sure aren't getting the people of this world ready for what's about to come therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself I like that you know what you don't have to worry about tomorrow it'll worry about itself boy I can't wait until I get to that point and I'm planning to get there sufficient for the day it's its own troubles. We got enough going on today, guys. Don't be anxious about what's coming up. Right? And this is a, a tough word, as I said, and it's one of those words that if you walk out of here and you think like, man, I suck at that. Probably not a word I should say on the pulpit, but if I say I'm horrible at that, oh wretched man of mine, I leave it at that, and I walk out of here, I will feel defeated. I will feel hopeless, and I will feel like there's no way. But I'm going to tell you what they did in that time period 
they put their trust in the Lord. They began doing the things of the Lord and He started to bless it. And I'm not telling you tomorrow you stop paying your mortgage or your rent or whatever you have. And I'm not telling you tomorrow stop buying food for your kids and see if God provides it. Actually, I'll say this. If God tells you personally to do those things, try it out. But don't do it unless God tells you personally to do that. It, uh... But I will promise you this also. We don't have anybody in this room right now. If you really saw yourself, has a need. You may have wants, and you may want some of your stuff taken care of, but you have a house. I'm looking at all of you. Ain't nobody in here anorexic or or starving to death, right? Not one of us in here are starving. Our food is being provided. We have a church body to help each other out. You know what? Our church ain't rich, but God's blessed us to be able to help people when when it's needed. And if we can't help them, we can get them in touch with people who can because God provides the needs for his people. And we struggle and we struggle and we struggle wondering all the time how we're going to do this. And God said, I'm taking care of it. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And it's a, it's a tough thing. I'm going to promise you that. And I, I'm going to... I'm going to go back to the beginning of Matthew 6 when he says, Do not lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where malls and rust come in and steal it, right? You think about everything you've bought in the last 10 years. How much of it do you still even have left? And maybe you're thinking, like, I got my house left, but how much of that have you had to fix up because it's already falling apart? Right? But, you look at everything you've done in the last 10 years all the work you've done all the money you've spent all the the things you've done and then you look at the lives around you that were changed by it the souls that were saved by what you did is it as many souls as you hoped it would be at this point in time does your kingdom produce the fruit you wished it would have sad, ain't it? Second John told us that some will be saved if we're, if we're doing the things of the Lord, if we're showing love and we're living for the Lord. Some would be saved, but if we're working or working or working and the kingdom of heaven isn't affected by what we're doing, we may need to reevaluate where we're at. We may need to reevaluate our priorities. Because I don't know about you, but on the day that the Lord comes or the day that I die, I hope the kingdom of heaven around me has been affected greatly by what God's done through me instead of the kingdom of heaven around me saying, like, he did a lot of stuff, but I thought there'd be greater fruit out of it. Right? Just a thought. Don't walk out of here discouraged. Walk out of here thinking, God, how are you going to do this? Lord, I surrender, right? Lord, I'll give it all to you. It's a tough message, I know. And it's one of those that I don't have all the answers, but I do know. We say, Lord, we fear you. We love you. We're all in. Use what I have. You know, the... uh, I know it's a long closing, but... 
There's ways to test where your heart is. We're never a church who speaks about money. We're never a church who talks about a lot. But look at your offerings, right? It, uh, if you can't trust God with your money, are you actually trusting God? If you can't trust God with your time when you get home and He's been telling you to go do something and you get home and you can't trust Him to go do that, that He would provide the rest you need, can you really trust Him? Right? can't trust God to go speak to somebody he's asking you to speak to that he would do something through that are you really trusting him what if you start testing that trust I I did the math one day it's been years ago uh, if Christians truly trusted God with our finances in America the church would bring in about five and a half billion dollars a year could you imagine all the needs that would be taken care of in the in the world if every year we brought in that much money? What if every Christian devoted time of their day to God? How many more people would be served? Right? Just think of if we trusted Him more, what He could do with it. I'm Like I said, I'm not asking you to go stop, quit your job and do ministry. I'm not asking you to stop paying your bills. I'm asking you to start trusting God a little bit more and see what He does with it. They did it, and they got all the blessings poured out upon them. So we're going to be up here for prayer. If you need prayer, I'll be up here to pray with you. And you can pray in your seat. And we're going to worship God. And we're going to remind Him how much we love Him, how much He deserves it. And let's be thankful for all the provisions He gives us, all right? So, Father God, I thank You for who You are, Lord. Lord, I thank You that that You would speak truth to our hearts, God, even if it sounds harsh. But, God, sometimes You have to get our attention, Lord. God, let us put our hope in You. Let us put our trust in You, Lord. Lord, we know that you love us so much because of all you've already done for us, Lord. So, Lord, give us the the boldness and the ability and the strength, Lord, to, to be all in for you, to trust you, Lord, and to allow you, God, to do what you need to do through us, Lord. So, God, I'm asking you. As a servant of you, Lord, that you would bless your people here, Lord, for all that they do in your name, Lord. God, you told us you won't bless our kingdom, Lord, but as we're a part of your kingdom, bless that, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I love you. And God, let each of us be changed by what you're doing here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you all. about um, when you deliver a message you come to the point where you challenge and uh, I can remember a message years ago uh, David Wilkerson talked about trysting places how many have ever read that 
message from David Wilkerson. And he talked about where different places in his life where he struggled and how you always remember the places where you struggle with the Lord. And I remember that scripture that he was preaching on this morning about uh, Haggai. And uh, years ago when I was in my early 20s and I was coming to the Lord, I had three different people in my life that committed suicide. And they were all people that I knew and all people that I, uh, a couple of them really looked up to me and, you know, would talk to me and I had influence in their life and they could have received from me. And I had grown up in church, known the Lord, but I wasn't living for the Lord. And uh, what happened in Haggai really hit me at that age. That was one of those times when I struggled with God about my life. And so what am I doing with my resources, right? Have you ever been there? And that's what this message is about. And what they were doing was a little more hideous than it looks. Uh, the Persian king was known to rebuild different religions' uh, houses of worship. He wanted them to have their house of worship and go back and have a place to worship. He encouraged it. Not only did he encourage it, how many know that he asked them what they needed? And he paid for it and gave them supplies. The supplies were stacked in the place to be built like Eddie said, it sat there all those years, and guess what they did with it? They took the cedar, and they paneled their houses with it. So what I was wrestling with the Lord with is, it's more than just taking my life and doing what I want to do. God gave us resources to accomplish a purpose. And they were actually stealing from God. They were actually taking all that stuff that was stacked in the temple and taking it to their house and paneling their houses. And so it's a little more hideous than you would think. And you say, well, man, I would never do that. If it's dedicated to the house of the Lord, it's dedicated to the house of the Lord. But how many know, just to be honest, we all have influence. And... Uh, I realized at that point in my life I wasn't using my influence to help people in their life. And so I've lost some friends over the years because I didn't do that. And so uh, let's be very careful to make sure when we go home, we challenge ourselves to make the most out of every day. Whatever resources God's given us, let's dedicate them to the Lord. The Lord wants you to have an enjoyable life, but let's dedicate what God's given us uh, to help build His kingdom. Hallelujah. Can we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your people go in your name, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would raise us up to be kingdom builders, Lord. That we would take all that that you have given us, Lord, and uh, use it for your service, Lord. Use it for your honor and your glory. Lord, we've been lifted up long enough, Lord God. We've been glorified long enough. Lord, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Glorify yourselves in our lives, in our church, in our city, Lord, in our homes. Let us be less and let you be more, Lord. That is our prayer today. Hallelujah. And if you believe that in Jesus' name, say amen.
Hallelujah. Amen. And God bless you. Hallelujah.